Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from October 11th by Pastor Randy, titled, Dealing with Difficult People, Part 6. Right, well, keeping priorities straight and common sense are two things that I think are pretty much gone from our country. I mean, come on. Are there any members of Congress that actually think they should be looking out for the best interest of the people who elected them rather than seeing if their political party can gain power or not? It's as if they could care less what all their pettiness and their hatred words and all that stuff could do to their 5% approval rating. But also common sense and keeping priorities straight has sort of left our Christian culture. I mean, if anything is common sense for us as a church, it should be loving other people. Because being a good Christian is not about about how much you know, it's about how well you love. And that's why I always encourage you to measure your spirituality relationally. Measure your spiritual maturity by how well you're pursuing a relationship with God, a relationship with people who are like you, and a relationship with people who are not like you, the difficult people. So we've been talking about that for the past couple of weeks, how to deal with difficult people in our culture, how to deal with difficult people in the church, and today and next and, uh, two weeks from now, how to deal with difficult people in your family. Because we all know family relationships are very fragile. It doesn't take much. A little bump in the road, and you can go for weeks, months, years, sometimes even decades without talking to, without seeing, without having a relationship with other family members. And we know what it's like to have other people in our lives that we don't really get along with anymore. Maybe the ex-boss, the ex-roommate, the the ex-friend, the ex-neighbor. And we can go look and say, well, it's because of what happened way back in 1995. We just don't have much to do do with each other anymore it's real easy to think that we can put family members in that same type of box as that but you can't because they're family and because they're family there will always be something in you and whether you believe it or not always something in them that wants to connect it may not be a big glowing fire it may just be a small ember but it's there There's always something between mothers and fathers and sons and daughters that that want to connect. And you need to fight for that. You need to fight for it, not only for yourself, not only for them, but also maybe even for the next generation. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this big, long story in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to sort of sum it up for you and take a couple of verses out of that story for, you, for us to look at, hoping maybe you'll go home and you'll read the whole story. It is a little bit R-rated, and that may encourage some of you to read the story. But whatever gets, whatever gets you to read your Bible, that's good. I'm for it. And so this story takes place during the life of David, when David was king. 
And to be king in that time when he was king meant you had lots of wives and you had lots of sons and daughters. And one of his sons, Amnon, is his firstborn son, and he's due to be the next king. And he falls in love with his half-sister Tamar and through a scheme winds up raping her. But David really doesn't do anything about that. But Tamar's brother Absalom, he's mad. He's hot. And two years later, so he schemes for a long time also. Two years later, he throws a party for all his brothers and sisters. And Amnon shows up. And right in the middle of that party, he extracts his revenge. He murders Amnon. Then he flees to this little town called Gesher. And he's there for three years. Goes unchallenged. Nobody comes after him. Nobody's just living this sort of in exile for three years. But in spite of all that's going on, in spite of the fact that David didn't do anything when Tamar was, was raped, there's still something Absalom that wants to connect with David. And despite of how Absalom killed his other son Amnon, there's still something in David that wants to connect with Absalom. And it's like that way with fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. In spite of, and you can fill in the blank, there's still this desire to connect. And what I want to urge you to do today is to fight for that. You have to fight for it. You can't give up on that. So here, let's read this pick up in the story. After Absalom had fled to Geshur and had been there for three years, King David longed to go to Absalom, for David had finished grieving over Amnon's death. Joab, son of Zariah, realized that the king's mind was on Absalom. So, what's going on here is after three years, David sort of moved on and he wants to connect with Absalom, but his pride or whatever won't allow him to do that. He just can't seem to get past the past. And Joab, his general, realizes this. And so Joab, then he cooks up a scheme in order to get David to admit that he wants to see Absalom and to do something about it. So he has this woman go in. So David, because what one part of King's duties was to pronounce judgment, to judge people, to say this is what you need to do and not do. And so he has this woman go in before, before David, and she says, I have two sons, and one of my sons murdered the other son, and now people want to come and kill my, my one remaining son. I won't have any heirs left. And she gets David to emotionally engage in the story, and David says, I will pardon your other son. You don't have to worry. They won't kill him. I will pardon him. And then she goes, well, how come your son Aslam is still living in exile? How come he's been banished? You know, why won't you pardon him? And David goes, whoa, is Joab behind this? And she admits, yes, Joab is behind this. And so David sends for Joab. And Joab thinks he's probably in trouble. But David admits to Joab that he really wants to connect with Absalom. And so this is what happens next. This is where we're going from here. Then the king said to Joab, I hereby grant the request. Go bring back the young man Absalom. However, the king added, he may return to his house, but he may not see my face. So Absalom returned to his house, but he did not see the king. David says, I want to connect with him, but I just can't come to the point to see him. He just couldn't get past the past. And so even though David did nothing when Tamar was 
was raped, asked him, he still, he still also wants to connect to David. And mothers and fathers, there's still something, there will always be something within your kids that want to connect with you, no matter what you've done. And so two years goes by. So he spent three years in exile. Then David sits for him to come back and, and, and let him go back to his house and live in his house. But another two years go by and he still doesn't see David. So Absalom, at this point, you know, what's the point of being back here? I want to reconnect with my father. And so he calls Joab up and, and try to connect with Joab to make an appointment with David. Joab doesn't answer. The reason Joab doesn't answer is because he knows what Absalom wants and he knows what David is going to say. And so then Absalom has Joab's fields burned, destroyed. So now who comes to Absalom ready to talk? Okay. Now he's ready. And here's what he says. Then Joab came to Absalom's house and demanded, Why did your servant set my field on fire? Look, Absalom explained to Joab, I sent for you and said, Come here, I want to send you to the king to ask, Why have I come back from Geshur? I'd be better off if I were still there. So now let me see the king. If I am guilty, let him kill me. You see that? He says, I'd rather be dead than be in this place. I'd rather see the king's face once and have him kill me than to be in this no man's land emotionally and relationally. That's powerful. And there's some of you, you may know what that's like. Because you want so badly to connect, but you can't fix it. You can't fix it, but neither can you put it so far back in the past where it just doesn't affect you anymore. So he's in that place, there's nothing I can do to fix this, but I can't just leave it behind me. I still, there, there's still something in me that wants to connect. So that's where he's at. So then next, we come to here. So Joab went to the king and told him. So David summoned Absalom, who came to the king and paid homage with his face to the ground before him. Then the king kissed Absalom. And that is the last time they saw each other. After five years. Because David just couldn't get past the past. And all that desire that Absalom had to see David, that turned to disgust. And so he sits out in front of the gates of the city. And whenever people would come in and out the city, he would greet them, make friends with them. And if somebody had a complaint against David, he'd go, I know exactly how you feel. And after a couple of years of doing that, he has this huge following. So much so that he raises a little army and declares himself king and marches on Jerusalem. David sees this coming. And he knows Jerusalem isn't ready for a civil war right now. So he takes his army that's loyal to him and his friends and his family, and he flees the city. Absalom comes into the city, pronounces himself king, sits on the throne, and then he does something very publicly that was very humiliating to David, to let everybody know, I can't stand my father. But angry people don't make good decisions. 
And rather than just stay in Jerusalem, in the walled city, and let David's men try and come back and take it, he decides to take his army out while he thinks they're not all together yet and to come after David in the open field. David is master of battle in the open field. And so when Absalom's army meets David's army, David's army quickly routs him, and Absalom and his army, they're fleeing. And Absalom's riding his donkey trying to get away. And it's hard for me to visualize with you guys, but he has this long flowing hair. And, and it gets caught in, in, the, in branches of trees while he's on his donkey. His donkey keeps going, but his hair is caught in trees, so he's sort of just dangling there. And David's men see it, but they don't know what to do because David had given strict orders, don't harm Absalom. But Joab comes along and he sees this. He sees Joab hanging there and he kills him. And then word gets back to David. The victory is won. The battle has been won. And David's first words are not, how's my army? How's Joab and my other generals? Tell the men I'm proud. No, the first words out of his mouth, how's Absalom? Absalom? Really? Your son who you refused to see? Your son that wanted so badly to see your face that he burned down the fields of, his, of, of your general Joab? That son that you only saw once? Yeah. How's he? David, don't you realize all this could have been avoided with just a little dose of forgiveness and humility? But now 20,000 men are dead. 20,000. And the only thing you're concerned is, is for Absalom? The son you refuse to see? Here's what I know. So many fathers and mothers and sons and daughters get to a bump in the road in their relationship. And it's so easy to think that you can just sort of bypass this like you bypass other broken relationships in your past, like that former roommate or or that ex-boss or ex-neighbor or something like that, but you can't do it. There's still something inside of you that wants to connect. You can't just shut down those relationships. You have to fight for them, to fight for them, even if it seems like a losing battle. You have to fight for them. Even if you think you're 90% the victim or, or, or 90% the, the responsible party, even though things have been said and a lot of loud voices have been raised and a lot of ugly things have been said, you still need to fight for that. Let's go back to this woman that Joab used to, to, to trick David or try to trick David anyway into doing something about Absalom. Here's what she, here's what she says. Well, here, let's go back to this. Well, go back to this verse here. I forgot this verse here. The king was deeply moved and went to his chamber above the city gate and wept as he walked. He cried, my son, Absalom, my son, my son. If only I died instead of you, Absalom, my son. And he's wailing so loud in the city that his men came back and they sort of snuck into the city like an army that had been defeated rather than one who was victorious. Again, David Why couldn't you just get past the past? But he couldn't do it. But here's what this woman said that that was trying to trick David into admitting he wanted to see Aslan. She says this, We will certainly die and be like water poured out on the ground, which can't be recovered. But God could not take away a life. He would devise plans so that the one who banished from him does not remain banished. 
What she's saying is that God won't banish a person once and for all. He'll figure out a way so that they can have a relationship with Him. He will fight for it, not so He'll win, but so He'll, have, he'll reflect the nature of God. That's what He's calling us to do. That's what she's inferring right here. When, when do you give up on a relationship? When can you give up on that relationship? Whenever your Heavenly Father gives up that relationship with you. He didn't give up. Aren't you so glad He fought for it? Aren't you so glad that He chose to pursue that relationship with you? Not because you wanted it. Not because you deserved it. And won't you do the same thing to somebody else? So, this is a very big issue. And what we're going to do for the rest of the time today, we're going to talk about why you need to fight for that relationship. In two weeks, we're going to talk about how you fight for that relationship. But today, I want to go to the New Testament, look at some principles in the New Testament to help us understand why you want to fight for that relationship. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.18. Everything, and the word everything, he's talking about how God loves us and, 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 and pursues us. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's talk about that word reconcile. Reconcile means to make compatible. You take two things that aren't compatible and you make them compatible. Like you take a key down to Home Depot and then they take this blank key and they make that blank key compatible with your lock. What God has done has taken something that's not compatible and He's gotten our sins out of the way so that we become compatible, so that He can have a relationship with us. And then we read this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Not counting their trespasses against who? Against who? Us. <laughs> them is us. Okay? And what has he done? He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So God has now reconciled us. So that we can do what? So that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, great, we're now reconciled with God? No. So that we can let other people no, they can also be reconciled. So reconciliation can flow through us. This is important. The reason we've been reconciled is so reconciliation can flow through us. So let me ask you this. Does this make sense to you? That you go to your mother, father, your son or daughter and say, Good news, you can be reconciled with, with God. But you can't be reconciled with me because I've got standards. And my standards are higher than God. Great news. You can have a relationship with God. You can be reconciled with Him. But you can't be reconciled with me because you have issues. Good news. You can be reconciled with God. But you can't be reconciled with me until you pay me back. Until you make it right. Until you come and admit that you're wrong. Does that make sense to you? But that's where we're at. Four things. Number one, 
Reconciliation isn't about justifying your actions in the mind of the other person. Trying to convince the other person that you're right. That's not what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is not saying, okay, admit that I'm right. Secondly, reconciliation is about being completely understood. See, some people think that you have to go to the other person and they have to be completely quiet and let you tell your whole story from beginning to end on, on why you're angry, why you're hurt, how it's affected you, and let them remain completely quiet so they completely understand, from my perspective, what was going on. That doesn't have to happen for reconciliation to take place. Number three, reconciliation is about convincing the other person they were wrong. Oh, you need to pay me back. You need to do this in order for us to be reconciled. You need to, to, to make up for this. You need to admit that you're wrong. See, a lot of people think that in order for reconciliation to take place, that you've got to deal with the elephant in the room. But that's not what God did. God took the elephant, and he just went around it. He went around our sins. Here's what you need to understand. Reconciliation is not about resolving the past. Reconciliation is about getting past the past, despite the issues. So here's the, the big one. Reconciliation is not about establishing the relationship. It's not about resolving all the problems. Do you understand those two things are different? On one hand, you have reconciliation, reestablishing relationship. Then you have resolution, solving the problems. Those are two very different things. You can have reconciliation without having resolution. See, that's the problem. A lot of people think we can never have reconciliation unless we have resolution. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. If you, have, if you have reconciliation, if you, re, if you have reconciliation, you reestablish a relationship, sometimes the issues just sort of revolve, resolve themselves. But you have it like this, okay, we're husband and wife, we're married, why are we fighting each other? Let, let's, let's pursue reconciliation, and then at least we can be approaching the, the, the problems together. But if you choose to focus on, on, the, on the resolving the issues, you choose to focus on that, the issues, I'll tell you what, people who you have issues with, you look down on them because they don't see the issues the way that you do. You get angry with them. You, 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 you just have a whole different approach toward them. If, you're, if that's what you focus on, it's just resolving the problem, resolving the issues. You'll never get anywhere. That's a long road, sometimes a road that you'll never get down. But if you'll focus on relationship, if you'll focus on that, and let that be what you focus on, then, then you have a chance of, of seeing, once that relationship is restored, then you, maybe you resolve a problem, maybe you won't. But do you realize this? You can walk arm in arm without seeing eye to eye. Do you understand that? That you can walk arm in arm without seeing eye to eye? Because I bet that if David and Absalom, if they ever got past all the stuff they were dealing with, they probably never would have saw the issue the same way. Never. But they could have had reconciliation. Here's what we read. He made the one, this is at the end of this section in, in 2 uh, Corinthians Chapter 5, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's the gospel. 
Aren't you glad God didn't tell us you got to resolve your problems first before you can have a relationship with me? Aren't you glad he didn't say you have to see things exactly as I see them and we have to be on the same page before you can have a relationship with me? Instead, what did he do? He chose to burden our, to put our sin upon himself in order to pursue a relationship. And at the end of the day, we discover that David wanted so bad to connect with Absalom, but he couldn't find a way. I'm not sure how much him forgetting his past, because didn't he murder somebody himself? But yet he couldn't find a way. And I can't promise you that you'll have an happy, happy ending. But I can promise you, if you will follow in the footsteps of our God about seeking to restore the relationship, seeking that reconciliation, you won't have any regrets at the end. Versus saying, oh, we've got these issues and we'll never have reconciliation until we resolve these issues. It didn't work that way with our salvation. And I know this is difficult. And I know it raises a lot of questions that I can't answer. Probably will never be able to answer. But will you be willing to make a move to restore relationships? Same for becoming a Christian. I know some, they just want to connect with God. They want to connect with God, but they don't know how. They feel like because of what I've done in my past, because of the type of person I've been, I just really can't connect with Him. You'd be wrong. You come and you restore that relationship with God or you begin that relationship with God. He will then help you through those issues. He will then help you through that. But resolving your issues is not a prerequisite for having a relationship with God. You come to Him. First, so you don't get the fruit before you get the root. You come to him first, and then he will help you resolve those issues. There's so many people in their relationship with God, they don't know how to come back to God. Because they think, I can't do that until. Oh, but you can. You can. You can get past the past. We have a God that demonstrated that for us. I'm so glad, so glad he didn't demand that we get our lives straight before we can have his salvation. We'd still be working for it, wouldn't we? We'd still be there. It's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. For your sake, for their sake, and maybe for the sake of the next generation. So we'll talk about how in two weeks, how to do this. But right now, maybe you need to take this time to, to seek that relationship with God. And you're not sure how to connect or to reconnect with Him. Because you're thinking, I can't do that until. Maybe you have someone in your family, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, 
And for so long, you've been letting the problem blocked away from the reconciliation. You think, I've got to resolve the issue first. No, you don't. You seek after reestablishing the relationship first. You seek after that. Then you can walk arm in arm, hand in hand to deal with the problem. And sometimes after you, after you restore that relationship, the problem just goes away anyway. It doesn't really matter anymore. It's funny how that happens. So will you let God do this work in you today? Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.